podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barblos Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barblos Podcast hotline, area code 530-636. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, welcome to another exciting episode of the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Alderson. I got Nick Hannon in the room. Nick, what up? How we doing, man? Good, good. Today, Harvest Wild. Have you heard of Harvest Wild? Wild Harvest? Harvest Wild? Harvest Wild, right? It's Harvest Wild. I know. I'm Thank scared. you. <laughs> Nor- well, normally, I, yeah, and, normally and I there's no it space. It's just Harvest Wild. Yeah, Harvest Wild, yeah. no space. So I didn't, I didn't jack that up at all. No, you did good. Okay, cool. That's, that's a first. Uh, yeah, so basically we have Aaron, we have Michelle, his wife, and Emma, their two-year-old. And their last name's Grabiel. Yep, Grabiel. Grabiel. <laughs> um, I had to spell it phonetically for everybody so that I didn't butcher that. We had Michelle and Emma sitting here, but then... Um, yeah, baby Emma, Emma had put a meltdown too, a little put bit. put too much gum in her mouth and she, she, <laughs> yeah. she got in trouble. <laughs> so, um, Aaron, the, yeah. reason, the reason we reached out to you is because I've... We've, how many people have called us or, or mailed us about these guys? Like probably five or six. Um, obviously, you're doing something different. And I think the yep. things that you're doing different is why we wanted to bring you guys in because I think it's like your format for guiding. <laughs> your format for guiding and, and outfitting in general is, is, I would say, innovative, right? It's yep. not, there's not a lot of folks doing it yet. There's little pockets of it but not like how you guys are doing it so we wanted to bring you on and, and talk about the brand a bit um what you're up to how you guys even came upon the uh the concept and go from there is that cool yeah first tell us about yourself and where you're from and how you got into all this yeah i grew up in palcedro just east of Reading, and um you know just spent every day i could out in the outdoors uh, i was homeschooled through middle school so my parents used it as like an incentive to get me to get my schoolwork done so basically like, hey, once you're done with your schoolwork, you can hop on your bike and ride down to the neighbor's pond or ride over the creek and go fish. And um, I had Cow Creek, branches of Cow Creek around my house, and it's a really good smallmouth fishery. It was an incredible one when I was a kid, and uh, there's almost nobody fishing it then. And we would, uh, you know, small community, so you knew all everybody land, lived along the creeks and, you know, all the ranchers because it's just a small town. And mm-hmm. so you, I just got to fish and hunt like call the neighbor, knock on doors and go jump, shoot ducks or go do whatever. And <laughs> it was a dream. I mean, honestly, like I feel bad. The kids growing up there now it's changed and it's not like that anymore for them. Um, when I grew up there, it was like the last, I was like the last batch of kids that got to take advantage of that small town. Just, I think that's anywhere, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. it just, it's changed. Kids aren't doing much outdoors anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, you know, people are worried about getting sued, you know? I mean, that's another big that's problem. A, that is a reality now, and it's kind of sad. When I was just like in high school, a kid broke his arm at one of the rope swings, and then um, they just shut down that access to the creek, and it was just through these people's property. They just let people park and walk down there, and they were like, hey, we got to post this. This kid broke his arm. The parents kind of acted weird, and we all got you know spooked. Yeah. 
you know, and I was watching that happen at places. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> come on. All their assets are up for grabs. Totally. You know, at that point. So yeah. just can, letting you could understand it's a, it's a concern. It's yeah. Concern. Well, I mean, it's, it's sad that it's, uh, you know, you go down there, it's kind of like your own risk, you know, kind of. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that sounds like any kid's dream though, growing up, just jump shooting ducks and mm-hmm. fishing for smallies and yeah you know they're awesome. grabby and fun to catch and uh you know they're trout in there early in the season so we had to do trout and then um high school I went to private high school uh, i went to bishop quinn and um, palisadro and so i was still just like right there minutes from all those creeks and stuff so i did a bunch of that i ended up coaching and uh george Ravel and Dusty Ravel uh, has, you know, George's Lost, Lost Coast. Coast yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got to know them really well when I was in school. And then, um, you know, and that was fun. We got to go just fish, you know, a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was good. And um, then I started guiding um, for Shasta Outfitters, which was owned by John Drew at the time. And they were, he, I took a class from him at Shasta College. Um, he was teaching a water resources class, I believe is what it was. And, um, you know, I was in there and he said he owned Outfitter. And so I was like, hey, you know, I've always wanted to guide. <laughs> Would you hire this kid that's in your class who talks too much and probably you probably wanted to hurt? <laughs> 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 and uh, he said, yeah, sure, you know, I'll hire you. And so I started working for him on like weekends and for the summer. What's Shasta Outfitters? Is that just, is it fishing and hunting or they, is it? He did fishing and hunting. Yep. Um, and I actually primarily did hunting for him, mostly pig hunting at first, mm-hmm. um, because there's so many know, pigs on the east side of the river. Or? Well, he just, he just, I think he just more needed a pig guide than he needed a, a fishing guide at yeah. the time. So I helped him with some pig hunts and all that and did some fishing and, um, oh man, about two years into doing, helping him with that, he ended up basically getting a different job managing a duck club and he gave Shasta Outfitters kind of the head hunting guide. And so at that point, it was kind of a good time for me to kind of like bow out or whatever. Mm-hmm. So then I just went and started my own thing at that point and, you know, was doing the kind of, I guess, guide whore thing and like <laughs> basically working for anybody that had a trip, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Like, got to do what you got to do. Yeah, totally. Just like, freelancing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, trying to build, uh, you know, just get days under my belt, really, and get the reputation going. Yeah. Well, when when did... When did the Harvest Wild concept start? Uh, gosh, about five or six years ago, we started playing around with the idea, and um, we really wanted to get, um, you know, like a social media presence that was different because I, I didn't want to get on social media to sh- to, and start exposing spots and start giving away like the local like little little spots that can't really support guiding or can't support people t- talking about them. You know, like they get they get. Um, it's a overrun. precious resource that yeah, needs know? to be respected. Yeah, totally. For yeah. these little spots, you know, there's places that are big enough to guide, and then there's places that are like, you know, a little too small. And you really, I mean, maybe now and then you got to do like sneak a day in there because it's blowing 45 miles an hour, and you can't get in your drift boat and go. And the guys are already in town, and you want to audible and just get them on the water. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what those places are for. You save in your back pocket for those things, but they're not to be like posted and all that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get kind of giving them information, give people information, give people like a different. Um, avenue to see the outdoors just from from like the um, you know just the different perspective I guess of just more like the food based and uh, just kind of looking for a way to be unique I guess um, I had a ton of people too in my drift boat that would I would talk about too about hunting because I love hunting and for a while I I didn't have a lease for guiding hunting so 
basically I was confined to hunting on my own and then just talking about it when I was fishing. <laughs> and so I was just like, you know, I'd, I'd ask people, you know, what, what made them want to fly fish? And I would ask them, okay, well, if you like fly fishing, you like the idea of this sport. Um, it is a blood sport. Um, what, you know, what, what's your, you know, reluctance to hunting or would you, were you ever curious to hunt? And a lot, a lot of people would be like, you know, I really, really want to hunt, but you know, I don't even know anybody that I know owns a gun because a lot of people, a lot of clients, you know, from San Francisco or mm-hmm. from the Bay Area where, you know, they might not have a friend that hunts or, or grew up as lucky as you did yeah, doing that stuff in yeah, their backyard. Exactly. And then yeah. another big group of people you talk to that moved out here from back east somewhere where they grew up hunting, but they get to California and it's so restricted. There's so much private down by the city and then the public land's so hard to, I mean, you got to know what you're doing to really hunt, mm-hmm. you know, um, in on our public ground and be successful consistently and so i was like you know i I really wanted to make it um like hey we want to teach you how to do these things on on your own we don't necessarily just want to take the people that just want to go jump in a blind and just like shoot the shoot their limit and go home and like that's it and the ducks sit in the freezer we want to be we want people to like feel like they earned it and want them to be able to maybe go out and duplicate it and get you know have a little success out there on their own um and people that really are like kind of more food driven and so that's kind of like how we wanted to spin it to kind of get it rolling a different way so well, let's you didn't you didn't kill your deer right you you harvested it and you didn't um you just didn't go out and harvest something you you, you educated somebody how to do it the right way and, and do it a, a fun way and educate them at the same time and and that's that's what it's all about you know it's just not all going out there and taking away from our resource it's about giving back to it and doing it in a you know friendly manner you know, yeah eco-friendly manner right i mean that's that's exactly it it's yeah. um it's a big deal like with outfitting you know and guiding like you know like you, you've got all this time all these demands on your time right and when you go out and you guide a hunting trip you go out and you work really hard to get these people an animal or to, you know and have them have a successful trip and if they get something down you know it's real easy as the outfitter to be like hey listen i'm just going to gut this skin this really fast mm-hmm. we're going to get this done and we're, we're going to move on um, it takes a lot more time to sit there and slow down and describe to people what you're doing, why you're doing it, have them get in there and do part of it with you, um, or even have the coach them through doing all of it, you know? And so that's, we really want to like, let people know like, Hey, we're here. We will spend the extra two hours it takes or whatever to teach you to skin this animal, gut it properly. Um, you know, how to take care of the meat. And then, uh, we want to be their support like we want to still continue to be their support when they get home and they're pulling a pork loin out of the freezer or they're pulling a roast out and they're like, you know what? I had, I looked at these two recipes. What do you think? Or where should I start when I'm trying to cook this? Because, um, that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and we don't really make any money on, on any of that. Right. So it's just like another drain on our time, but we want we want this to work and we want people like new people to get into this so bad Mm -hmm. so that they can, help, you know, keep the torch going and keep these public lands in shape. I mean, I wore my, my, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers shirt today. Cause, um, you know, that, that's a big kind of reason why we, we did it too, you know, is to get the new people in and so that they put their money into conservation. They put their, you know, their, they vote for conservation and to keep things, you know, wild and keep them where, where people can recreate on them. You know, it's mm-hmm. one thing to preserve something and there is a place for that, but, you know, conserving things is great and it makes it so we can still use them. Um, so, you know, just trying to get that promoted. 
No, it's well said. Yeah, the I mean the educational piece that you just talked about resonates with me because we're trying to activate new new you know anglers basically, and then yeah. for a, a lot of that reason for the political power that it comes with it. Once you know we we kind of unify as a community, we can you know hopefully vote and you know affect legislation, whether it be water rights or whatever. Yeah, exactly. uh, so we're that's that's awesome to hear. Um, the thing that you were saying, you know, there's the day that you book, but then you book a client, but it's also when they get home and they're, you know, they're digging through the freezer trying to figure out how to uh, deal with pork loin or whatever. That's that, that's that part that I think what I was talking about earlier that you guys are doing different, right? Or there, there's this more of a curated kind of experience. How do you say it? experiential, experiential guide? Sort of yeah. where you, it's not just you show up at, at nine with, with Aaron and then, you know, 4 p.m. you're done. The relationship doesn't stop there, right? That's, no, exactly. that's my takeaway, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah, I like think. your website says hunt, fish, gather, field to table, clinics, right? That that whole, just the the second, the gather and field to the table, I think is, is an interesting um, cool. add, add on to just being in the guiding industry, right? You're not just hunting, you're not just fishing. But you're you're doing these other things that was you kind of bring it back to how man used man and women we used to survive yeah. right it's, yeah it's pretty it's an awesome it's just an awesome experience I think everybody should should check out yeah you, you know, know and it's like uh, when we were at the SAC Expo down there I did a couple talks on like sustainable like um, you know keep for fishing you know like they, we have limits that are set doesn't mm-hmm. mean you need to keep your limit because you want to keep some fish keep what you can handle what you can cook at the time mm-hmm. you know fresh fish is the best there's no reason to take fish home and freeze it you should have it that stuff in the smoker the next day or yeah, right. eat it that right then yep. if not i don't see a big reason to keep it i mean obviously you go to a, like an alaska trip or something where you're going to keep a whole bunch of like salmon you can vacuum pack it it's mm-hmm. good, that's a but, different thing and that's a once yeah. in a year trip that people yeah. make you yeah. know it's not like you're doing it every single day and filling yeah. up the freezer yeah know? that's not the back you know running out here and grabbing a striper for dinner or right. you know go and catch a couple shad and and uh bringing them home um so you know we're i don't know what's your what, what was the inspiration for bringing all that together like that um you know, it was basically we had the idea to do it. And then I actually called John, my the guy who got me into guiding. And I was like, hey, John, I've been, Michelle and I have been brainstorming. We can't come up with a good name for this. And this is what we want to do. And he's like, I own this dot com, uh, harvestwild.com. And I was like, you say what? He's like, I think it'd be perfect for you. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great brand, man. And it's I was a like, really no great brand. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, he's like, I actually had this idea very similar to what you're doing. He wanted to do mostly just hosting and not necessarily like actually getting the ranches and doing it the whole entire thing. Right. Um, and so I was like, well, I want to like get the ranches and be the guy running like the whole entire deal. I'd love to do some hosted stuff with people, but it's so hard to get you know, book this date and then have these people that are interested in this one thing be able to show up on that one date. It's mm-hmm. much easier to say, hey, we offer all these things. Contact us if you want to do it. it. And then we will price it according to how many people you can get to come participate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you talk, just kind of like go through the litany of services that you guys have, like the experiences that you guys provide? Okay, so we do, we do clinics. Cool. Yeah, for hunting, fishing. Um, for fishing, you know, we'll do fly fishing and then spin fishing clinics, and we can be species specific to those. Um, we do the hunting clinics as well, and we'll do like upland, waterfowl, and then big game, or kind of like the way we break it up. Um, and those are we go through everything from like how to draw your tag for big game, um, you know, and then how to like 
e-scout, like scout online and find your places to go, go scout, find the animals, and then, you know, go out hunt and, um, you know, process the game, how to take care of it out in the field. Um, there's a ton of people that are very scared about like, they, they think that they're going to somehow like ruin it. I mean, you can ruin game, but there's not that many things you need to do to really keep, uh, keep game in good shape you know you just got to cool it down you got to expose it to the air you want to skin it and get it you know where it can cool down get it in the shade um i can't believe how many people you know that's what the, that's our biggest you know thing is like, well, if I, yeah their biggest concern is like i'm gonna you know go out and get this deer well how do i cut it up i'm like well the big thing about cutting up a deer is that if you accidentally cut a roast in half you just made two smaller roasts you didn't ruin right, it you right. just made it maybe not <laughs> usually used for making stews yeah or, you know putting you know, in a crock pot yeah or, i mean yeah. if nothing else you totally butcher it you can do jerky or burger with it you yeah, know like exactly. <laughs> making some burger with it yeah you make it happen um you know you can't be afraid to make some mistakes you know it's gonna happen and you just do the best you can and there's a lot of avid hunters out there that don't even know that stuff yeah right they take mm-hmm. their their game to a butcher shop and then it gets processed for them there i mean yep. you just don't, they don't even know that whole system and, yeah. I, and i think your business opens up the doors for even those people to mm-hmm. to get involved yeah right? well and, and even learn from if you take it to a butcher that butcher doesn't necessarily like game right yeah. Like not everybody has a taste for games. Some people just don't like it, you know? That's just the the fact of it. And so your butcher might not necessarily like venison. And if he doesn't like venison, then how good of a job is he gonna do coaching you on your first deer you bring in on how to butcher it? Mm. You know what I mean? He's gonna have you maybe do a lot of things that somebody who really appreciates venison wouldn't wanna do, you know. He might be grinding it all up in a hamburger and getting rid of a whole bunch of great steaks and roasts that you could be taking advantage of or something like that. And so that's another reason, like another thing that we do is if we're not just, if we're not going to help you butcher it and you just, you know, your time restraints or whatever, you don't want to take that on yet. And you just want to take it to a butcher. We're going to, you know, go run through a bunch of different cuts that you can do and things and different ideas in order to have a butcher properly cut it because he might cut it in a way that you end up making, you know, spaghetti sauce and tacos the rest right. of the season. Right. So is there, is there like a little classroom kind of a co- environment that you do this in, or you just do it on the the tailgate of the truck, or how do you how <laughs> yeah. do you like get that info across to people? Um, well, so we have um, for the hunting stuff. I mean, we do on on the water clinics, you yeah. know, and so we'll like get a day use area or something, and we'll just you know pay the fee. We have National Forest Service permit for Shasta Trinity, so we'll go over there and we'll do like our you know on the water stuff there whenever we can. Mm-hmm. Um, for the hunting side, we have an incredible facility that we lease for hunting um, that's just east of Redding. And um, it has a f- complete butcher facility. It has a hangar for hanging game. Um, we're in the process of probably going to get some, like, goats that we can slaughter and use for um, classes when it's just going to be, a, like, a specific just, like, butchering class or something. Um, so we're going to have, you know, so we're going to do those things. Um, but we have that property there and, um, it's incredible and we can do the whole big game class there. Uh, as, you know, we, there's a bunch of good like glassing points so we can show people on a map what it's going to look like on a topo, what it's going to look like on satellite imaging, and then actually drive them up there and go, now this is what it looks like from here. Mm-hmm. Now you know what you're looking at mm-hmm. because putting those, being able to go to a place you've never seen and, and do it from start to finish like that. And just connect those dots. Yeah. It's connecting yeah. the dots and it yeah. makes it where people are like, okay, like I see how it 
works. Even if you see it on a as a topo map or know how to read a topo map, and then you go to that spot and look at how vast that country is, and you know how deep those canyons are, it yep. kind of blows your mind a little bit. And then mm-hmm. how easy it is to get lost, or mm-hmm. you know, track your game after you shoot it. I mean, all those things start to come into play a little bit. You yeah, know? exactly. So, and then being prepared to take care of the game when it's down in a canyon. You know, people go, I can't backpack in and 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 kill a deer two three miles in. I'm like, yeah, you can. I'm like, because if you're just hiding from the truck and you wing it and it runs a mile before it dies, then you go find it. Now it's a mile from the truck. You're going to have to do the same thing right. there as you would if you were backpacking in. You're going to want to debone the game. You're going to want right. to put it in a backpack and hike it out if you want to be safe about it. I mean, I've been plenty of times where I wasn't prepared and I end up shooting something and it's like, I probably shouldn't have hiked so far back here and end up dragging it out. And it's like, oh <laughs> man, this is so dumb. Where's my backpack? And then what, what's Michelle's like a, mad at you because you're not home oh, for dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what's an average, what's an aver- average size doe that you kill? Doe? Well. I'm kidding. It's a trick question. <laughs> uh, so, but bu- buck, like what's your average size buck? Um, on the ranch? Well, um, we're, we're hunting C-Zone. Uh, they're probably like 100 inch 120 inch bucks you know because we're doing a lot of beginner hunts we're not really targeting like like specific trophy you know deer we're trying to get people a good experience and get a nice clean clean shot so really what we're focusing on is a great experience for new new hunters right now and so Mm -hmm. we are working on getting more than the size of the deer getting them a nice like i want them to be have the opportunity to hopefully spot the deer stalk the deer i don't want to drive up on 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 the side by side and be like there's a deer right there just shoot it like that's not the experience we're trying to get you're you're basically teaching them how to fish yeah you know like that that meta that yeah 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 totally teach a man how to fish yeah 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 and so yeah so we're trying to get them to you know stalk it get into range wait for a perfect broadside shot um if not you know slight quartering away shot and we're going for you know the 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 thoracic cavity, the chest, hoping you know to get a good, solid, clean kill that um, that's ethical and that is promoting and teaching these guys the right way to do it. And these guys and these men and women mm-hmm. to do it correctly, and so that's really where our focus is. And the sizes of the deer, you know, some guys are like, oh, I don't want to shoot that little fork and horn. I want to wait for maybe you know like a three pointer better or whatever. And then yeah, we we oblige that, but. Um, really what we're focused on is just like the good clean ethical kill we're not trying to push the envelope and to get a big animal or anything like that yeah. we really want these beginners to get that's that, pretty cool that good first experience you want to bring emma on the show have her say hi she ready she's she ready for her debut <laughs> <laughs> she <likes> puppy, <laughs> <laughs> puppy huh you <laughs> a little too embarrassed, I guess. <laughs> Is that a tur? What's that? Is that a turkey? What she say? Oh, wow. What does the turkey say? <laughs> <laughs> what does an elk say? Yeah, she's so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> she has a pretty mean elk call. Yeah, really? she does she when does. she gets she going. She has her own bugle tube and everything. <laughs> do you guys uh, have elk as far as hunting goes yeah uh no no it's i too, mean it's too private and yeah, hard well, to get a tag the ranch we have we actually we we may have one elk hunter on this year um we don't have a plm program on our ranch so people have to draw a c-zone tag or draw a northeastern elk tag mm-hmm. to hunt on it so uh, we may pick up one elk hunter the problem is that elk actually yeah. they summer on our place 
But once the rut kicks in, they basically migrate uh, the bulls that are on our place. They generally migrate over to the next ranch kind of down the hill mm -hmm. because that's where like the cows all are. So when they're, mm -hmm. you know, so they just vanish basically. But the back corner that kind of goes out into that ranch, there are, there's a big rim there. It's about 600 acres. So, you know, almost a square mile that they still will hang on. Um, but it's not enough to support more than like a hunter, basically. So we might do one elk hunt there. Calif California is a lot different than any other state when it comes to hunting. How do how do the ta how's tag system work? Because I have no idea. I've never shot a bow. Well, that's or, where I was kind of going to go with that. Yeah, yeah, like how's it how's it all set up? How's it regulated? Like okay. what are the zone? All that stuff. I'm re real curious to understand how that works. Yeah. So basically, you have to put in for a tag. You have to well, first you have to do hunter safety. That's the first thing you have I to do that. if you want to hunt. Okay, yeah. good, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And don't and you lose check, your You card. have to have your certificate. Yes. Because oh, if you go out of state, you want, you want that. You need it. Too. I got it like eight years old or something. It's kind of a rite of passage when you live in Princeton. So do you know how yeah. to get another one? Do you have to file for another one? Or do you have to take the class over again? If they have a record of it, because we actually had to do this when we put in for Colorado a few years ago, and I didn't have my hunter safety card. And so I called the office in Sacramento and they actually luckily had a record of mine and they looked like a, they were really great. It was like a week later it showed up at the door. Oh, like, wow. um, so that was cool. Um, so you might have that opportunity, but like I actually have had some clients that end up having to retake the hunter safety cause they hunted back when they were kids and they're in their like sixties or seventies and they have no records and they've never bought a California hunting license. Even if you bought a California hunting license just before the electronic system, if you don't have a, that old license and you go in to get a hunting license, they are not going to let you get a hunting license. So I'm license. screwed, basically. Probably. Way. Yeah. Okay, so you get, the, <laughs> you get the hunter safety and then it's broken up into regions or something? Yeah, so there's different zones, they call them, and um, they you know blanket the entire state. Um, the easy ones that are over the counter are like D, A, and B are the, are the easiest zones. They're pretty much all over the counter. And then there's a bunch of different draw units. And then like the X zones tend to be the premium zones. And so they can take a lot of points, a lot of years to get points to draw. How does that? So every time work? you put in for a tag, which is before June 2nd, mm -hmm. if you don't get the tag that you put in for, so say you put in for C you get Southwest and, you miles. and you don't get it exactly, you basically okay. get, you get a point. One and they point, roll over to the next year, they keep, like you, a cell plan. If you don't get the tag for the next year. Yep. And so okay. some of the tags, like he's talking about X zones are, are premium tags and you have to have eight points that year to even be looked at to get one and it's not guaranteed that you're going to get one it's it's but can't you just buy a politician like on billions <laughs> well you can buy plm tags yeah, you, yeah. What, those are what's plm uh, for? private land management okay. and so ranchers will work with dfg and dfg mm -hmm. will have a biologist come out and say hey if you do these improvements then we'll allow you to set like a season and you can have x amount of tags and so they can actually set a more lenient season on their own property, but the tags can only be used on that ranch and the ranch you can only hunt with PLM. So if you have a friend who happens to draw a tag for the zone where your ranch is, you can't like let technically let them on your ranch to hunt because it's a PLM. It's like its own zone basically. And does that landowner get a, a percent of that, that fee? Yeah, he'll pay. It's a lot more expensive. Like he has to pay like a, like a base rate basically to get into the program. And then he pays... I think deer tags are like sixty or seventy dollars per deer tag, whereas normally I you know for over the counter it's like twenty five bucks when you buy a tag um, for your first tag, something like that. Um, so yeah, so it's a but then he can charge whatever he can get for them, you know. So the real legendary ranches, those guys are you know can make get a couple grand per tag. Wow. Okay. Huh. Um, you you mentioned e scout earlier. Can mm -hmm. you talk about that a little bit? What is that? Well, that's like uh, 
going on like Google Earth or Onyx Maps, which Onyx is awesome for fishing and hunting. It'll show you where public and private is so you can access things and make sure you're being totally legal you're about legal, it. Yeah. And you're not going to have some guy come down with a shotgun. It's the way to find loopholes in the property lines. Totally. That's 100%. What I, that's what it is. Yep. And then, uh, and so you can go on there and look and see where you know, good feed is, where good cover is, where water could possibly be. I mean, it's not as good as boots on the ground, but you can do it sitting on the couch, you know, yeah. like around my place right now, we have a lot of like Mickey Mouse and stuff going. And so I can sit on the laptop <laughs> while that's cranking and check out some spots and see, um, you know, and, and be able to do it from the cat, you know. Okay. So I'm going to give you a scenario and then you walk us through kind of like your steps, your, your process for e-scouting. Okay. You're going to go up, um, somewhere north of say Lake Almanor in some, in an area of high lakes or whatever. What do you do? Like, what do you, what, what software do you use? What's your methodology? Like just step us through because this okay. e-scouting thing we've, we've talked about, Nick and I have talked about doing a whole episode around it. Cause I'm big into it myself. Okay. Um, so I'm asking purely for selfish reasons right now. Cause nice. I want to maybe learn something new here. If you bring up his Google but, account map and you look at it, it's, yeah, it's, it's not stupid. even a map anymore. It's stars that are marked of all, his, all of his places that, he, that been he's or been or, or wants to go. To go. For know? fishing or hunting? Fishing. For fishing, because you said yeah. you haven't. Yeah, got so, yeah. So, if I started so doing just, that, it would just—I don't think you'd see so green just, or brown um, anymore. Just talk about like your thought process when you when you apply this technology to go, you know, qualify spots to go fish or hunt. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, obviously, the first thing is access. So mm-hmm. you're looking for access. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. Um, you know, so you're you're you gotta find where there's an easement through to whatever ground or river you're trying to get to. And an easement is, um, it's just any, like either a public, like a, there can be private property with a public access road through it. And sometimes they'll be gated and you have to walk them. And I mean, and that, that can get a little tricky on figuring out which places you can, you know, there's a lot of timber company land that used to always be open that now they're starting to shut down, which is really a bummer because a lot of it mm-hmm. was really great for public access. Goes back to that kid breaking his arm. Gates. Yeah, right. totally. It's, li- it's all about liability. liability. And then, you right. know, they're also concerned with road, road, road maintenance, maintenance. road yep. maintenance. I yeah. mean, well, most of a lot of it was just foot access. So that yeah. like, wasn't too big of a deal, but also, you know, now that, you know, the state of California, if a fire starts on their property might come after them or fed, you know, or something yeah. might come after yeah. them if there's a fire and, that's, um, you know, if it was started by somebody that they just, you know, let. Yeah, I, I think it all comes down to the the risk mitigation. That's always the root of it. It seems yeah. like the road the road maintenance thing's bullshit. I think it's just risk mitigation. But anyway, um, we digress. So I want to <laughs> I want to get back to Squirrel. software you use, and then like you know you're gonna go look at something on High Lakes above Almanar. What's your what what steps do you take? So you kind of like you kind of started it. So you almost yeah. went like the main road, right? So the main freeway or road to get to the nearest place, right, of access, and yep. then from there you got to kind of. Yep, you're just gonna pick like your 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 best way in, and you can use a you know that's when your topo is gonna come in handy because then you can see what the gradient is, and you can figure mm-hmm. out you know there might be a road that's closer, but it might be at the base of a cliff, yeah. and so yeah. you know, and then there's a road a little further, but it's uh, you know flat mm-hmm. or or a little you know little incline or whatever to get there. So finding like the easiest path, not always the shortest path. And, um, so you use topo maps, like you'll look at an image on Google earth and then reference that from, well, that's what the, that's what the Onyx is awesome for maps or to go hunt. Um, they, uh, you know, you you can click satellite and you got your satellite imagery and then you can click, um, um, there's like a blend. I forget what they call it. Like a topo filter. it's, It's yeah. So it has a topo that's like translucent over the, 
over the satellite imaging, and then you can go just to topo if you really want to see what the topo is doing. Um, I, I would say like the biggest thing for me, honestly, that I have found in all of my scouting and all the, all that I've used it for is for elk hunting, finding like bedding areas. Like you can look at this mm. big old hillside and find this one little flat spot in this gnarly canyon, this one little like tucked away, little cool little spot for him to bed in a flat spot. And you go hike out to that spot and you're just like, oh yeah, the elk live here. Like it's just beaten mm. to like, there's nothing left on the, it's just dust. They just in there every day. I don't know how many spots I found that way where I was just like, oh, it looks like it might be a little So you're just looking for little flat, flat places on the topo. Yeah, I mean, for the elk that's, bedding, you know, yeah. that's the Chad's one thing. I was thinking about this too. waterfall, like, oh, man, there's this big drop, and there's got to be some toads sitting down there below yeah. it, right? Yeah. Or above it. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. And then, yeah. Like, so it's Onyx it's all... and Google Maps pretty much, right? Yep, yep. And okay. uh, the Onyx is sweet. It's like an app on your phone. Yeah, we do the same exact thing then. Yeah. I, that's exactly what I do. Yeah. I, do but save, I also use Google. Do you for, save those searches. maps to your phone so that when you're off? Yeah. Satellite, you can still see what's yeah. going on. Yeah, and that can be an issue because you know you you're like, oh crap, I didn't. You know, I need actually the one next to this map. I should have got a little more. And then you're out there and you have terrible service, and you're standing like on your tiptoes on top of some ridge trying to right. get it to download. <laughs> yeah. So make sure you've downloaded the right ones. Yeah, and the only other thing I would add to that from a fishing perspective, the other thing that I do personally, um, Department of Fish and Wildlife, they do fish surveys everywhere on every major river and every major lake. So you can get uh, an idea of biodiversity and also amount of fish in an area um, by doing some pretty interesting Google searches for PDFs of these, these research papers. They're internal memorandums that the, uh, the state, you know, basically shares within the department. Um, but they're all available. Some through, of them are pretty old though, long, right? Long yeah. Google, they they are, current. but some go back to like oh eight. Some of them are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are five, ten years old. But I found right. some high lakes with brookies in them using that method. That's awesome. So that that works. Um, yeah, and they they don't they don't do those surveys every year though. That's right. that you know it's like every seems like every four or five. Seems like and it just kind of rotates. But okay, I so, just gave away some secret sauce. But you still have your topo map on you, right? You still have a topo map with you most of the time. Um, it depends on where I am, you know, like how hard it, I'm, how easy it is to get lost. Mm -hmm. If I'm hunting somewhere where like the road's at the top of the mountain, and I know like no matter what side of the mountain I'm on, if I go, go up, to the top, I'm going to get gonna hit, it, yeah. hit the road. Then right. I usually don't bother with uh, with right. any kind of backup navigation stuff. Um, but if I'm in like real flat terrain where there's like less landmarks, and I'm like, okay, so this is easy to get turned around and then I'll tend to have, you know, backups mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I've hunted some places where it all looks the same and you're just like, okay, so which way is which? What, I think that little hill over there. Have you, like of, hill. have you heard of, have you heard of gohunt.com? Yeah. Yep. Do you, are you a member of it? Yeah. Is that, I mean, I'm trying to remember which, I mean, which are Onyx and Go Hunt the same or no? No, different. Okay. Different. Yeah, Go Hunt is, and they have yeah, Onyx is the one I have. Onyx is awesome. I mean, it's like if you're serious about trying to find new spots to go, and you're worried about trespassing, you need an Onyx account. Period. Go Hunt's more about um, having those preference points kind of laid out in front of you and knowing where where mm -hmm. you can put in for what's your best chance of probably you know success with those points that you have available, and it's. They don't have it for California yet, do they? Or do you know? You not, I don't know if they do or not, but they, yeah, they're specific to getting you tags. Like your best right. ability to like draw a tag or be able to go hunt mm -hmm. might like have a successful. It's hunt. a really cool site um, that I know a lot of my hunting buddies love. Yeah, 
Yeah. Let's talk Check cooking. Yeah, I was just going to talk s- cooking. That's where I wanted to go. Michelle, we got Michelle, and yeah, I get it. Are you? You're you're part of that, right? <laughs> Here, put these on. Step up to the mic until before she starts. Uh, she likes black black licorice. Yeah, bribery. Ew. I know. I don't like black licorice either. <laughs> but you guys, you guys are very much like partnered together on this this venture, right? You both, it's kind of a team effort. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, let me unmute you here. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. So, uh, Michelle, what's your role? What do you do primarily with the for the biz? I um, basically do all the back end stuff. So I do a lot of like I did, built our website. So I learned and did the designing for our website. It looks good, by the way. Yeah, it looks really good. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Uh, I organize all of our newsletters and put fish reports together and hunting reports together, and I gather as much information from Aaron I can, and I put it all together. Um, I communicate with a lot of outside people, like, um, for example, like Enjoy Magazine. We just got an Enjoy Magazine as a featured article. So I've been talking to them back and forth for about a year. So trying to set things up like that, get more exposure, do a lot of the marketing side of it. Nice. So ops and marketing. Sweet. Yeah. I was, why did I think that you were like, you helped like get certain clients that wanted to learn how to cook. cook. Uh-oh, the stuff that they were catching. <laughs> Who's doing that? Which one of you is in charge of that? Because I want to talk food. The women cook, right? No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. She's slinging arrows and, and harvesting, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, Michelle's been, um, you know, since she became a, like a stay-at-home mom, as they say. But, you know, we launched Harvest Wild kind of the same time as mm-hmm. we had our daughter. So... Um, she's been trying to be a stay-at-home mom while having like me and my scatterbrained like um, like hey we're gonna do all of this like we're not gonna just do like most guys can just do like one thing or two things we're gonna just do all of it and I need you to like book it all and run the website and build the website but that that's why you guys are that's your biggest differentiator you guys are doing like a really 360 degree experience and not just one thing yeah and you're doing it pretty well from what I've been told I've had again multiple people call us and be like. You got to get these guys on. Yeah, that's awesome. And raising a child at the same time. Congrats yeah, yeah. to you guys. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to us to be able to do it together as a couple. You know, yeah. a lot of, it's very one-sided, especially the outdoor community. A lot of people think like, well, just my husband goes out. Well, no, <laughs> like you should go too, you know, and I get that a lot. I get, I get a lot of questions that people are, that don't even know where to start as a woman in the outdoors. It's very intimidating. So um, it's cool to be able to have that aspect of both you know a man and women be able to do it together yeah and we hunt together we fish together we do it separately um, and we bring our daughter we took her uh, backpacking when she was a year old and she, she when, tried her first brook trout when you've got a couple and and the, the gal hasn't ever done it um how do you guys kind of like uh alle- alleviate the anxiety that they have uh I, I would say baby steps you know like you have to get something that's like going to be sort of a slam dunk, like a dove hunt or something where the food's mm-hmm. delicious, like dove or awesome. I don't know anybody who doesn't love to eat a dove. What's your favorite way to cook it? Um, I like to like half them and then do them like a, almost like in a stir fry or, um, you know, and the dove poppers are always like, everybody's like standard. Yeah. But I try yeah. not to just like do too much jalapeno and cheese and bacon. Cause then it's like, where's the dove? There's right. a little piece of dove in there. I swear. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and then, I like to put them in like, yeah, like stir fries or cook them like as a standalone and then and put them over like some veggies or something. Um, so you like to start them with the dove hunt because it's easy. Yep. Right. 
Yeah, a dove hunt's easy. Um, you know, you doesn't need a lot of gear, right? You can like get a loaner shotgun, go mm-hmm. shoot some trap, get like a five gallon bucket that hopefully isn't bright orange, sit on it on the edge of a tree line or by a <laughs> pond and shoot some dove, you know? Yeah. Like super basic, really easy. You don't, you know, you just wear like normal clothing, like blue jeans and like a brown shirt and you can probably kill some dove. And then, so do you get, are you guys getting more couples because of this? Yes, and families and we're getting, That's cool. um, you know, been getting a decent number of like father son groups that where i like i can't believe how many dads are getting into hunting now because their kids have interest mm-hmm. and i don't know where all these kids interest is coming from I don't know it's if it's instagram. Rogan, baby. instagram yeah yeah instagram and then you know and I, I think like maybe like hunger games you know because she's like yeah. you know, shooting the bow and shooting birds out of the sky with the bow and these kids are like, yeah oh, i, I, I think honestly i think it's joe rogan because yeah. he's, he talks about it all the time and there's a certain contingent of ufc fighters that are into it as well yep. and a lot of them were converted by rogan and it's just part of the culture now it seems like totally. you know and then there's the whole paleo thing going on and it's all kind of just intersects yeah you know yep and it's funny because you know now with a lot of kids in school get kind of like bombarded with some like the ethics of like factory farming and mm-hmm. all that stuff at young age and i think some of these kids are like well you know i can go hunt my food like Yep. You know, I, I can't tell to. you how many times some older guys told me, he's like, can you imagine like that when people go to a grocery store and they look at that package of meat, they have no idea like how that got there or how it is. Or if there's an animal laying there, they have no idea what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have an abstract idea of how it got there, but I definitely don't know what cut of meat it is. I mean, I couldn't point, I know it's a, it's a round or whatever. I wouldn't be able to be up, like walk up to an anatomy thing and say, oh, that's that part of the cow. Yep. But so many you people know. don't. You know, yeah. don't know where it's come from. But it, I think the biggest thing, too, is finding that connection with their food. You know, now it's such a big deal that people don't know where their food comes from. So having that connection and learning where their food comes from mm-hmm. is such, you know, it's such a big deal. We haven't bought meat it's really at, important. At our, in our household for a long time. It's like there's duck, there's deer, there's elk, you know, fish coming out of the freezer all the time. Like we're, I'm just pulling that's stuff so awesome. and defrosting, going home at lunch, defro- you know, just defrosting. With, and that's kind of how we've... I feel I feel super lucky yeah. to honestly be able to do that yeah, and, not, and totally. not worry it, we're, about We're lucky just living from. where we do geographically. It's possible to do that. You know, I lived in Santa Monica and it was just unheard of. You couldn't just couldn't yeah. do that. Right. Just logistically, you can't get it past the 405. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. What's your, what's your favorite uh, piece of the deer? That's um, kind of, it's random. It doesn't like not meat, but like if you were to eat like, the heart or liver uh, yeah or i mean the heart is super good i don't know that i have a, really a favorite the heart we tend to eat first i don't know if that makes it our favorite but it's super good but honestly these blacktail hearts are so small that since emma has been old enough to eat like real food she, she doesn't she pretty much downs a whole deer heart by herself and we're left <laughs> yes. with the scraps because she loves it <laughs> i know her favorite yeah why do you guys eat it first um i don't know i think it's just because it's you know, generally you just eat it like in camp, you know, you, um, just throw it in a little salt water or whatever and like brine it for a little bit mm-hmm. and a little brine and then, uh, you know, cook it the next day. And, um, that's just kind of how we've always, and a lot of times too, we butcher our deer at home, you know, so sometimes being in, out in the field, it's readily available. It's, it, you know, it came out of the animal first. Yeah. Um, you don't have to actually break down the animal to be able to pull it out except for, um, gutting him. And then also it's, the first thing that goes into the freezer when we get home, it's like, it's just, mm-hmm. know, it's right there. Yeah. So. I saw a cool uh, recipe French. on Meat Eater um, where he was taking the stomach lining 
mm-hmm. and then wrapping the heart with yeah. with the stomach lining and then it was it was a certain part like of the sausage stom- or stomach lining right it was, was well it, it was the fat it was the coal fat okay yep thank you mm-hmm. and, and it, uh, yeah it looks like it's almost like, like cheese cloth it's yeah. like netting. oh okay yeah meatballs too i think he's done it is that is, yeah. is that tripe or no different tripe no tripe is actually stomach okay right? that's like yeah. the mexican or who right does that one yeah but um they uh this is actually the fat that's outside of the stomach, uh, just around the intestines okay. and the okay. stomach and all that. Yeah. And a lot of de- eating that determines what your uh, entry and exit wound kind of look like, right? Cause oh, if totally. You, if you, Are you talking about, I'm confused, if you, talking about the toilet? <laughs> Basically, yeah. If you, if you hit the bladder or, you know, oh, really? the poop sack, then you've ruined a lot of the stuff that, yeah, that you could potentially it be It literally eating. does roll downhill then. Yes. Yeah, you know, and that's why we are, you know, when we're guiding those hunts, it's like broadside, getting the animal, stand still, nice, close, easy shot, because I want to be able to get in there and show somebody like a nice, clean, you know, gutting job and skinning job and not have, oh, look, we're like trimming out half of the shoulder because it's, you know, we, we whacked the shoulder blade, which we actually did last night. I guided the upper sack yesterday out of the raft and then had a uh, pig hunting client last night so we, i did fishing all day and then Jeez. we got pig hunting last night and he got a pig and so, all on the same day yeah and was so, it the same guy casting and blasting guy. different guy casting wow. and blasting. yeah so Dude. sent one guy home met the other he must guy. have been dog ass tired well you know for Renewed that stuff for that, for, you know <laughs> i love all that so much and like i've been chomping at the bit to be able to do yeah. these trips and get a lease close enough that I could pull it off. And I yeah. finally got this lease that's only 15 minutes from my house. And so I can run home, drop a boat, hook up the side by side, run over, meet a guy and go out and hunt pigs for the did evening. Did you get your pig? Yeah, we got the pig. Nice. Um, it was, it was pretty fun hunt. We did, uh, we did this bit, we hiked probably like a mile loop and ended up shooting the pig like a hundred yards from the side by side. Like we could <laughs> see this, we were actually worried about shooting the side by side cause they were kind of heading towards it. Um, but, uh, it was cool. We got to do the hike thing. Like I like to do and stalk them and we had the wind in our face. So it was just, it was great. We got in really close. We were in bow range, but we shot, he ended up, he had a rifle, but. Okay. Do you take both? Um, we do sometimes take both the guys that want a bow hunt generally cause a lot of the pig hunts are kind of shorter, like duration, like a day mm-hmm. or two. Um, I usually encourage guys to bring a rifle if they really want to have success because then I can just have the rifle on a sling over mm-hmm. my shoulder and they can have the bow. And if they wind us and they run out to 100 yards and stop for a second and they're out of bow range, I can be like, hey, take the rifle. Okay. Let's so make some pork. I know that I'm going to assume bow hunting is way harder than, than a rifle rifle hunt. How much harder? Um, I would say the biggest thing that makes it harder is actually the amount of time that you need to practice and you have to you have to make that a part of your life practicing with a bow the muscle memory piece of it yeah like a rifle i feel like you can in my opinion you can shoot you know a a half a dozen times or a dozen times before season and you're you're going to be like totally dialed and even you know and and you'll be fine with a bow you need to practice like multiple times a week and it's building up those that muscle memory that muscle and whatever you're using Mm -hmm. to pull that bow and knock it and hold it in place yeah right and the guys who really really are really proficient with the bows most of them practice daily even if it's like in their garage you know cameron haynes is like a huge like you know shoot every day guy and that's because it's that muscle memory like you're saying they're like Mm -hmm. you just want to get to where no matter how freaked out you are because you've been running up this hill after like the biggest deer you've ever seen your whole life when you get to the top of that hill your body's just going to go through the shot process like you're not going to have to think about it that's huge because you know as much as we want it all to go smooth when you're out there in the field it's the wild 
and mm. the wild is like take no prisoners everything's life or death you need to just be ready to do it and so that's why the practice is huge the same thing is just like if you're going permit fishing to mexico you know and you mm. got to practice you got to stand on an ice chest in the windy days mm. and try to you know throw a tight loop and, and a lot of wind preferably with a pinch barb when you see that permit or you see that buck right you, the, you start freaking you get what called, you get, i call yeah. buck fever buck, do you yeah, get buck, buck fever, fever on permit too yeah, oh, permit yeah. Fever. really oh, yeah oh yeah <laughs> for sure it's not as crazy as as big game hunting it's yeah. that's a whole yeah. different level to me well unless it's yeah. like a chip shop permit and everybody's everybody's a little bit different my brother he doesn't even get that anymore you know but uh, huh. i still do you know yep. uh, i think everybody's a little bit different when it comes well, to that, so um practice makes Perfect. If you've got a bow and assume that you've been shooting at least three times a week, how important like to success is the actual stock before you actually get to pull, draw the bow? The stock is huge. Um, the biggest thing is learning thermals, I would say, for stocking game. What is that? Um, so learning where the wind's going to go. Because honestly, like stocking up on a lot of game, like, yeah, they have good eyes and stuff, but you can usually, with all the camo we have now, and if you just have, like, just, like, the most minute little bit of cover, you can actually stalk in and not be seen. You just go real slow, and you're patient. Um, but the biggest thing that ruins, I mean, once you've got those things down, being patient, moving slow, and knowing how to use the terrain, mm -hmm. which I would say is the easier part to learn, the wind is just crazy because, I, I mean, the wind's the thing that no matter what you do, it will it'll screw you basically. Like, you know, you think you got it dialed and you're like, okay, the wind, you know, it's 10 o'clock every day at 10 o'clock in the morning, the wind's been shifting and then going uphill from, you know, the, the morning thermals going or the down drafts over with, mm -hmm. and it goes up and you plan your stock and you think you got it dialed and you get over there and it's 1045. And then the wind starts going straight downhill to the deer. Mm -hmm. The deer's gone. I mean, that's the hardest part is getting the, playing the wind. So do you have like a, do you have like a decision tree already set up? in your head like so the scenarios basically like that you're going to be you're going to be ready for if the wind shifts right i'm going to do this if it shifts left I'll, I'll do this and i ask that because when you're playing baseball like every time every pitch right you you're on third base you you know you know there's a guy on first and there's a guy on third what am i going to do if yeah. balls hit to me it's that kind of a situation exactly. is it similar yes it is it definitely is and you know you a huge part of hunting and something I encourage people to do is like, I really like over the counter tags that I can get every year. Mm. The premium tags are cool, but the time it takes to go scout a unit you've right. never hunted and try right. to learn it and really maximize that hunt. It's going to be basically a year ender for you to go and learn that place and go and really hunt it successfully. And oh, okay. really do a great job. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Um, unless you have a good friend who's hunted a bunch, who can line you out, like hands you maps and goes, this is how you do it. Yeah. Then you, and you got to go figure out yourself. It's yeah. a lot. Um, and that's why over the counter is awesome. You can just, you know, dedicate year after year and you have to look at it like, you know, like how long does it take to get a college degree? Okay. Well, that's what it is to go out and harvest deer successfully and consistently. Right. So you need to go out and you need to commit three, four or five years to like going back out and, re re you know, repetition of going in those areas, learn, okay, if I'm, if the deer are bedded in this draw, if they leave, they go to the saddle. If I know that because I've seen them exit, or if I just make a lucky guess, I'm in a new spot mm -hmm. and I spook them and I just hightail it, sprint up the hill, go around the backside and get to that saddle. I can beat them. A lot of times they'll slow down and stop in some trees or whatever. And you can get there and you can, you can cover your own escape route sometimes and, and end up getting animals if you know it. Um, what do you mean escape route in case you get charged? What do you no, mean? Not, not for you, for the deer. Oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> I, I, I've never done it, so I got yeah, a bunch no. of dumb questions. No, those good. are good questions. Um, drones. Drones? Do you, yeah, do you use those at all for scouting? 
Um, no, 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 I don't. Um, I just don't. The drone only shows me what I can already see on Onyx, right? I mean, right really, um, right. and mm-hmm. I. And you can't disturb the wildlife. With yeah, it. I was just yeah. curious. Yeah, because it's in the regs now. You can see it like they've actually included it into the regulations, yep. and that you can't use it uh, within 24 hours of making your kill. Yep. Is right. this just for hunting, not fishing? Because I use it for fishing all the time. This if is, I'm in a new yeah, spot, just for hunting. That's how I decide to hunting. go up or down river. <laughs> right. If I'm in a new spot, yeah, just for hunting. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, not for the stock. I guess for like footage, for a pretty shot or something like that. Yeah. Right. The other part of stalking that is really important is the physical preparedness. And if you you can practice archery, and you know, especially the bow, you can practice all the time, but if you aren't physically prepared, the stalk is typically going to be unsuccessful. Um, Why? Because oftentimes like the situation changes. The thermals will change, the, um, the deer or the elk will get up and walk in a different location. You have to be able to back out and think you know through the process again and you might have to actually hike another mile so you have to, to get kill, back to you got to be per- physically prepared to call an audible essentially yeah. is that right yeah. Okay. yeah yeah you can't let laziness kick in yeah like and fatigue. I'm, I'm screwed then and my that, stock would be <laughs> shit every time and that is <laughs> no, no, how important funny. is your diet in that situation too I mostly try to eat Snickers bars when I'm backpacking <laughs> I was actually going to ask he, he what, what's in your pack for <laughs> for fuel um, you know, jerky. I always try to make a bunch of wild game jerky before I go, just so I feel like I'm like doing it. You know, I got mm-hmm. like my venison jerky. Live it, live yeah, it. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I do, I do honestly buy like the Costco box of Snickers before the hunting season, and I usually have at least a Snickers a day. You're burning so many calories when you're hunting that some empty ones, like my Snickers, is like the thing. And my I usually have like dehydrated apple and like almonds and all this like healthy stuff, and then my Snickers bar. <laughs> 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 I really love like the little. Um, Gosh, I forget what the company is, but they make the little peanut butter and uh, almond butter packets. And then if I'm not backpacking, which is like day hunting, I'll have an actual fresh apple in there and then like cut it up and put almond butter or peanut butter on it. It's so good. And it's like kind of cool and, you know, it's moist. No fancy energy bars or any any of that crap. I mean, I've bounced around. I usually get a different one each year because by the end of hunting season, with how long my season is with dieting, and then yeah, I'm like thing over and over again. Yeah, except the Snickers. Do you? Yeah, the Snickers you you can keep doing. Do you guys wear (laughs) hydration packs on these these things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love like the the hydration packs, like the Osprey one. I think Mm -hmm. it is the one I have. And what um, gear bag do you like to use when you're hunting out there? You know, hydration and your all your stuff. For the most part, I hunt with Onyx or a uh, XO pack. I had a Kafaru. That was a really good pack. Um, but through some misfortune, I ended up needing to just get a new pack. And I was right next to Exo hunting in Nevada, or I mean, uh, in Idaho. And um, I was like, yeah, uh, you know, called them up. I need a new pack like right now. And they're like, oh, we'll make it happen. Like, where do you want us to ship it? And they just like shipped it to the post office so I could pick it up and, wow. and keep hunting. Yeah. And, um, and so I end up with that pack, and honestly, that that pack is awesome. Um, it fits really good. I've packed out a bunch of like heavy, heavy, like over hundred pound loads of meat with it, and had like no soreness. It was actually pretty incredible. Really good pack. And so I pretty much use it for everything now because I love it so much. Hmm. It's huge. I think it's seventy five hundred, so it's wow. big, and you really have to strap it down and cinch everything down when you're just like day hunting with it. But it's um, become a part of you. It sounds like yeah. Well, it then. It's like having a smaller day pack that you can't really pack a deer out with. 
sometimes you get in a situation where you got to go back and get a frame or something to pack an animal out with. And mm -hmm. I've gotten now where it's just like the extra pound that my big pack weighs or pound and a half or whatever material, might as well just have it mm -hmm. and so then you're ready. I've always pictured when you pack an animal out, it's like some of those old Westerns I used to watch where they had the entire beast slung over their shoulder and they're I've like pictured ticks going down their back and shit. <laughs> yeah, like all the stick and yeah, guys. Yeah. Like so when you guys, when you guys break it down and transport it and move it out of a, say a Canyon or whatever, do you quarter it or how does it work? Well in California and I, in Oregon, where I mostly hunt, um, you can you you can debone them. You don't need to leave any bone in. Um, there so are you, that just basically means you take the meat only. Be like if yep. I was going to flay a fish and leave the rest. Yes, exactly. On the only okay. the meat. Okay. Um, the issue with that is that it won't last as long, so you'll need to get it butchered and like frozen or cooled mm -hmm. sooner. Um, if you keep it in big quarters, big muscle mm -hmm. groups, then you're not exposing less as air. much. Yeah, you're exposing less bacteria to the meat and stuff, so it'll mm -hmm. last a lot longer. If you need to hang okay. in camp. Um, so those are the, kind of the considerations that you need to, hmm. you know, think about. And you take plastic bags with you then? No, well, you don't want to do plastic bags. I will take, I have like one plastic bag just to keep blood off my backpack while it's in the backpack. Yeah. But I actually had, um, like my stepmom stitch up these little, um, meat sacks that were actually the perfect size because a lot of them are kind of too big. And when you're divvying it up to get like a pack to pack nicely, it's, it's tough with bigger bags. So I usually carry a couple bigger like the QU zippered bags. I really like those ones um, for the bigger muscle groups. And then all the smaller stuff, I have these little ones that are probably only like a, maybe like 11 inch diameter. And they, uh, they're awesome um, because they're just, you know, they're, they're small, they're narrow. And then they're maybe like mm -hmm. two feet long. And so you can just strap them in underneath gear and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, they, uh, they work really well. So that's usually what I have it. And then you can hang them in a tree easily. Like if you're solo, the other problem with big bags is when you're by yourself and you're trying to like hang like this heavy bag of meat and get it. And then you like, if you drop it, you're going to puncture it. Then you're going to have issues because then flies can get in there and then you're trying to like, you know, fix it out in the field. I like the smaller ones. Do you ever solo on these, these hunts? Yeah, I do. I do solo. Not a lot. Um, just because of the, you know, time restraints, you the know, inherent I, I get, danger. Well, I, that I actually, I I think you're si like you feel if you, safer yeah. when you're by yourself because you don't have money, somebody else with really? the happy trigger finger no, standing next no, to you. No, I just feel like worried about a snake bite or something <laughs> crazy. If you if you're cautious when you're out there and you're mindful and you're observant and you you have your basic knowledge of like you know navigation and first aid and all that, yeah, you're gonna be fine out there. I mean, most likely, people that take unnecessary risk or like to push the envelope, they're usually the ones, you know, or the people that are just have no idea and are oblivious. You know, those are the people that get in. Um, I, when I am by myself, I definitely don't quite take like as gnarly of routes across like rock mm -hmm. faces and yeah, stuff. Like I turn mind for especially if I don't have cell service, like if I happen yeah. to be somewhere out in the back country, but I happen to have cell service, then I'm like, Hey, I'm going across an early spot. Text like you know, Michelle, yeah. she's at home or whatever. That was my next question. Don't hear me an hour. Is like, do you <laughs> do you have like a GPS, like a what the the satellite stuff, like the Garmin InReach or something like that? Um, do you use shit like that or no? Uh, my dad has one, and so when I so when I'm solo, sometimes I'll borrow that if he's right. not using it. But um, other times I just don't. Ever been bit by a snake? Uh, not a venomous one. <laughs> I like it. You're firing from the hip. I, I was thinking about uh, boots. 
as you were talking about your backpack and uh, boots yeah boots like okay. your shoes that you're wearing because yeah. uh, and, and everywhere is different you start going out of state you kind of have to use stuff that's a little bit thicker because it's cold but mm-hmm. california is pretty warm so you can get away with some thinner layer insulated boots but what do you have something that you like that you like to use yeah the i, I like the loa boots um, a loa a loa no loa loa, loa. loa. Yeah. yeah um i they have some really lightweight boots that are like as light almost as like running shoes i mean they're are these ankle light. like ankle height yeah, or um, they're, up to the calf they're like three the four. yeah like the three-quarter height or whatever they are they're not mm-hmm. all the way up on the calf but um like high top ones but you can get them and they're oh gosh what is it it's like the sierra sahara or i don't remember what the model is but it's basically like they come in like a beige a tan color which mm-hmm. i really like because they don't t- absorb heat as much as like a dark boot mm-hmm. and then around here hunting in like tan colored grass so they actually blend in better too so your feet aren't like these mm-hmm. black things moving through light colored grass everywhere you go um so i really like those boots and they're they make a gore-tex and a non-gore-tex for archery season i use the non-gore-tex for the most part because they just breathe so well like it's they're awesome and they have a fairly soft rubber sole so they're pretty quiet for stocking um i like to take my boots off for stocking when i'm bow hunting for the most part ask if you were take your shoes off yeah whenever i can i take my shoes off Um, that's what the native americans did man that's how they got so close you can get you can walk so much quieter it was like my buddy uses slippers you know Mm -hmm. he he keeps his slippers on and just okay so at some point the last you're you're trying to close the last 30 yards or something you Really, yeah. Is that the situation? Yeah, last like eighty yards, hundred yards. Depends on Smart. how loud it is. Never been snake bit. <laughs> what kind? <Dude>. Yeah. <laughs> but, Holy smoke! But what cool. gender? Yeah. I've, I've had no. I have no idea what it's like to hunt with a bow, but I've always told people it's the pinnacle of of any outdoor sport. I think probably just just thinking about all the things that would have to come together to be successful at it. You know. The hardcore outdoor people that I know, um, they say that bow hunting for elk is yeah. Is, is the shit yeah it's incredible it's super fun um it's something that we still have like we have great numbers of so you can buy over the counter tags and go have like a legit opportunity to go harvest an elk and That's like cool. at least have a great hunt and they're they're really really fun you know they call you can call them in when you're bow hunting you know it's a lot of times during the rut and uh you get you you also get to kind of you can hunt as a team well when you're elk hunting because having a collar and then shooters in front of the collar is very successful way to hunt them hmm. and so um it's and it's like kind of it's a great one that you you and your buddies can go and plan and do together and kind of learn together and um whereas and deer deer hunting yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, said, I said buddies but yeah well you don't have to date every girl you know babe (laughs) 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 and uh and so you know it's something that that's great for for a group kind of setting you know and you get to work together as a team and if you have a bunch of guys that are like you know you all have the same mission and they're guys you really trust that you know you can like that are going to work as hard as you are to get animals down it is so fun to be out there in the woods with your with with you know your friends and family and um doing those things and hunting hunting like that super hard we were going to talk about gathering. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Did you, oh, did you pause? No. no. Oh. Um, yeah, that, that made me, I was going to say, groups of people, um, you, one of your guys' um, other pieces of this pie is the gathering piece, which I think is awesome, and a lot of people are getting into. What does that mean? And it's not just hunt, hunting mushrooms. It's hunting all kinds of different edible yeah. Like plants, psychedelics? Right? You guys hunt them? Uh, no, we generally don't. <laughs> the classes get kind of weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, 
We, we well mostly, played, sir. Well played. <laughs> we mostly try to do, um, you know, the edible greens because they're, there's a lot that like are just like weeds in people's yards. So it's something that people can do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Mushrooms a lot, unless you're like really dedicated to go drive out, you know, like the same way that you're going to be like a dedicated fisherman or a hunter and you're going to go out and actually look for these things then uh, mushrooms can be real can be a lot more difficult than just like a lot of the like kind of noxious weeds almost you know that you can basically are in your lawn you're trying to get rid of that you can actually throw in a salad and eat i had a buddy come from the east coast huh. and he's like you guys have blackberries growing everywhere like what the yeah, what is going on ass. he's Tear like there's blackberries waders. all over this is awesome you know yeah uh, yeah yeah it's and, just funny to think about it you know like the i see him and i just get pissed <laughs> well can't go down that way <laughs> yeah exactly where's my machete what's an example of of a plant that we take we don't think about what we see all the time um well like um gosh put me on the spot i know you, i know you guys have a certain person that yeah. that does this what would you say yeah, we have a bo- Yerbasante. yeah Yerbasante is a it's a medicinal plant and it's um extremely fire resistant or tolerant and so It'll, it's like one of the first things that comes back after a burn. Um, you know, people in California are probably familiar with what a pot leaf looks like. So it kind of looks like pot leaf. Um, it's kind of a shiny leaf generally. Cause I was like, um, almost like a, uh, like resin on it. It's like um, a wax or something. Yeah. Okay. On it. And it's really good for like, you have a cold or something, you make tea with it. Huh. Um, and that's something that you can get when you're hunting and fishing around Northern California in a ton of locations. Um, it, like around uh, Redding, where we get it all the time, is kind of like that. I don't, know, I don't know what elevation, maybe like a thousand feet ish elevation. It tends to just be like everywhere. Um, and they do a lot of prescribed burning, like around Shasta Lake, and it mm-hmm. comes back in that in those prescribed burns like crazy. And a lot of people don't like it because it's not like a, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like brushy. Does it know? have a brown branch? Yeah, it has little, a long stem, yep, and yep. then it has most of the foliage will be at the top. Yep, yep. It flowers kind of pretty for a short period of time in right. spring. I know what you're talking about um, now. And, um, yeah, they're, you know, so that's one that's around that, ev- like, most people have probably seen in their wanderings around Northern California that's... So, and you guys will take people out in, on, in groups to do stuff like that, too, then? Yes, yep. That's cool. Um you know, and we do the acorn processing classes. So, what? yeah, so processing acorns, which is like a way underutilized thing around here. You know, I've, I've, most people are just like trying to figure out where to put the acorns some years, you know, on their property. Or, I, I know my mm-hmm. place, like the gutters are totally full. But, um, you know, how to make flour with it so you can bake with it. Um, how to, you know, make, like we did a lasagna with acorn in it. And, um, you know, there's a number of different things just so people can start to play with it you know and like kind of figure it out but like you yeah. make cookies actually they're pretty good it kind of is, wonder how a tortilla, has a hazelnut kind of flavor to it like an acorn tortilla would taste um if you could do yeah, it yeah i mean it the problem is is that it it has no gluten and right. so it doesn't stick together very good right. it's like um when you do a cookie you know like it just it like kinda. you bite it and it just falls apart in your mouth mm-hmm. you yeah. know so some butter and sugar and some acorn and you know you got it kind of got it made but that's, so, Michelle, uh, we, she, I wanted to ask you earlier, but you, we were we were watching Emma run around all over the place, but <laughs> we we just went off about hunting and fishing. Oh, and, back to the services. Yeah, so I, I wanted to give yeah. you an opportunity to to you know give you your thirty second elevator yeah. or elevator hour, time. however long you need. <laughs> <laughs> can you guys talk prices too, or is it variable? Um, we can. Um, General. I mean, it's kind of yeah. It's 
there's probably people that are going to listen to their services and be like, well, I wonder how much it was, how <laughs> yeah. much it would be. Yeah. It's a lot because we offer and we can adjust it according to people's needs too. So if they're like, well, we really want to learn how to butcher the animal on site. Well, then we can add that service, you know? So it's just, mm-hmm. it's also based dependent on each guest that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all, so we started Harvest Wild April last year. Um, and we offer, so it's hunting, fishing, gathering, and wild game cooking. Um, so for fishing, we ha- we do fly fishing, conventional tackle, and we have a raft, a drift boat, and a bass boat. And we have a Shasta Tree National Forest Service permit and a BLM permit. So we can go to some pretty incredible places, yeah. a lot of places people can't go to. And we have the tools to do that. Um, and then for hunting, we also have, um, so we do, you know, guided hunts and clinics um and that's for fishing too we also do the like fly fishing clinics like on the water clinics i think you covered that um and for so we we have a kawasaki mule so we have um that we use on the ranch it's great especially for like the road conditions but for people of all ages you know it helps get people that can't have like have a hard time getting around yeah they Mm -hmm. you know would want to when they're in their younger years or or young you know so we can cater to a lot of different um, folks. And then we also do like an all-inclusive package. So, you know, your meals and um, everything's kind of included, your lodging as well. So we offer that for our hunting. And for hunting, we do upland. So turkey, quail, deer. Um, we may do an elk eventually. Um, what am I, am I saying? Oh, and pigs. (laughs) Our big one, (laughs) wild boar. Yep. Um, And then we do foraging, so so we do clinics for that. We do nature walks. We bring people out um, and take them out. And usually do like a two-hour nature walk. We kind of walk and talk about the plants that are around us, people that walk past these plants all the time, and they don't know that they are here for us, you know. Uh, and then we also have a wild game um, cooking chef on board for, with us, and he teaches our wild game cooking classes. Oh, okay. So um, we can do private and home chef services as Whoa. well as put a class together and yep. teach, like, you know, oh, for example, cool. like we'll have, um, we'll take duck, for example, and then yeah. we'll prepare it three different ways in that yeah. class. But, but conceivably, I could say, hey, I want to book you guys for like a boar hunt, and then it's two days, and I want to, you know, for two nights, I want to know how to, you know, dress it and cook it and, and all yeah. that good stuff. And then I want to hit the river. Then I want to hit the river. Yeah. Then third night, get a bunch of mushrooms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see this is Genius. <laughs> yeah. Book. And so... The, the, the thing, the biggest hurdle on, uh, on those classes um, for us is the wild game cooking one is that people have to supply the game, right? Because we can't sell game. So we can't supply game for a wild mm-hmm. game cooking class. People have to have it. So um, generally, you know, that, that's been our biggest issue is people are like, oh, well, I want to learn how to cook duck. I'm like, okay, or, so you have some well, ducks in your freezer? <laughs> we got no, a dependency no. on you. You better go find a friend or somebody to give you some because <laughs> yeah. if I'm selling you the service, it's a little too close to the law for me to right, just be like, right. hey, I'll bring some ducks over and yeah, teach how right. to cook them and get paid for it. I'm like, no, you got to supply the ducks. That's and cool. We'll that it's important that, for them to be able to harvest the animal that they're going to be cooking. Well, yeah. you know, that so. takes you yeah. back to the beginning of your services. And yeah, saying, totally. Yeah. Hey, you need to set up. Well, what? Okay, so you guys do a shit ton of stuff. So, what's your most popular thing that you guys do? Well, I, you know, I was right mainly now. a fly fishing guide before it, and so mm-hmm. that's still 
the bulk. Um, yeah. But then, you know, we're getting a lot of people doing their first time hunts. Um, you know, and generally, you know, this time of year it's pig season, you mm-hmm. know, cause it's year round. And so right now it's, we're doing, so the it's kind of seasonal then. Yeah. For yeah, the pigs. Makes sense. And then we'll, we have a couple weekends left in July to book, um, for pig hunts. And then August we won't be booking any cause it'll be getting too close to deer season. And we're going to kind of let the ranch rest a little bit and get prepped up for the deer hunters. And we'll be doing Very rifle cool. deer hunters there. So, and this is all kind of based out of Reading. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The greater. Yeah. What about I, you mentioned waterfowl? Um, where where do you guys do that at? Um, so with waterfowl, basically we I end up you know like I know a handful of guides that are down the valley, mm-hmm. and we'll end up just getting a day with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times they're doing me a favor because someday they have blocked off for their family because a lot of my gr- groups are booking kind of late, mm-hmm. and then um, we go down and you know and hunt with them, and then go through the whole field you know dressing and the whole mm-hmm. process generally mm-hmm. is why the, you know the people that are there for that mm-hmm. and um so yeah so it's usually you know calusa you know somewhere like that corning cool yeah so, and then, oh, go, go ahead. ahead i was just going to say too something that a lot of people don't know is that we can cater to big parties too um we just did a 50 person uh, father-son camp out oh, wow. where we did camp out plus um, fly fishing and we brought in like 17 guides and so you guys there we, we have quite a few listeners in the bay so if okay. if anyone's listening maybe thinking team building event you guys could do something like that yeah, yeah like, we can make something yeah, cool happen for 20 sure. plus easy yeah yeah, yeah. and cool. cater all the food too so yeah okay it wouldn't be Sweet. wild game at that point unless That'd they wanted fun. to bring a whole bunch up but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so how do these folks uh get in touch with you guys um, they can go to our website, so harvestwild.com. Um, they can sign up for our newsletter. That one goes out. We try and get a newsletter out once or twice a month. Um, they can do that right from our website. They can call us. Um, What's the number? 530-356-2189. Instagram? Yeah, Instagram messages work. Facebook messages yes, work. Please is, follow what's us your on Instagram, Insta? Facebook. What is it? What's your handle on Instagram? Uh, harvestwild underscore HW. Okay. And... Um, then email, you know, it's always like great. Um, and that's harvestwild at gmail.com. What about uh, Facebook? Are you guys on Facebook? Yep. And what it's just it? harvestwild. Harvestwild. Right. Harvestwild.com. Com. Okay. Give your phone number. Is, is I can't even keep track. Give your phone number one more time. Uh, 530-356-2189. Cool. Cool. Yes. We're very personal. So feel free to call us anytime. Thanks for coming on. And also, I apologize that my dog stared, literally stared at you for half this show. <laughs> I like your guys' gear, too. Your hat and your shirts. Can they get that stuff? Yeah. Too yeah, as well? yeah your brand's yes. awesome. Yeah. You guys did a good we job. We have swag available, yes. It's on the website. Swag. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, who do you guys host with? Who's your, who's your internet provider for your web host? It's Squarespace. Nice. You guys did yeah. a good job on it. We tried a different one, changed WordPress, it. WordPress. Yeah. Is your, is your um, e-commerce site on there, too? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, she was so good. I was impressed. She was putting every single crown back in pl- in its place, and then I, when I looked back over, it was upside <laughs> down. Dumped it back out. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna start back over. Dude, she just built a, a five piece t- tapered leader with blood knots. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. we train them young. Train them young. <laughs> she did a really good job for being here in the studio and having her parents yeah. be on the mic. That was, it, like, she yeah. did good. She's awesome. Our house is not a sweatshop. She's not there just building leaders. <laughs> <laughs> Flies, man, it's a different story. Okay. Yeah, well, she loves being outside. We have goats and chickens and oh, dogs. Awesome. And she just very loves cool. It. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah. thank you guys for coming in. It was awesome meeting you as a family, and um, we wish you all the luck. Best luck. Go thank check. You. Go thank check you them out, you guys. Yeah. If you're listening. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Your turn to plug it. I plugged it last time. 
rate us. Just say rate us. It's okay. Rate us on, on anything you want it, you can that you access via Google or iPhone or what? Spotify. Yeah. You can't rate through that stuff though. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. Okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, Fish Bio and Amp.bill. FishBio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, FishBio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And Amp.Bill. Amp is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. Amp creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. Amp develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.Bill.